you got the chance. You do not want to miss next week. Okay? I'm telling you, I wish I could go ahead and say it, but I want you to be surprised. It's going to be great. Um, yeah, wow. So anyway, uh, this week was an interesting week, wasn't it? If you're on Facebook, I'm actually surprised that you're here. You somehow managed to live through the crisis of 2011. Oh, Lord. You being here is a total miracle because you were still alive after they changed the profile. Just, I mean, how dare they? Gosh, how dare he change that after? You know what was hilarious about all that? We, and I'm going to throw myself in there, although I tried to, like, offer perspective, you know, that's what a pastor's supposed to do. We used the medium of Facebook to complain about Facebook. Isn't that just a little weird? I'm going to, I'm going to go on Facebook and complain about Facebook. Go, go somewhere else. Do, do it on a blog site. Get a, get a blogger. Get a, Get a Google Plus account and complain about Facebook. Don't use Facebook to complain about Facebook. That's just weird. But like somebody said, you know, they kind of just jumped on the bandwagon. And it was fun. And it was fun. And everybody, it tore everybody up. Um, but you're here and the grace of God is sufficient. Even for when they change Facebook. Uh, last week, we took a look at a story in Matthew's Gospel. About Jesus calling his first disciples, we begun our series called Follow. Um, which, by the way, if you're not familiar with Twitter, let me do a little Twitter um, commercial, a little Twitter promo. If you're tired of Facebook and you're mad that they need Twitter, that's what the little hashtags were. You can see anybody on their status updates with a hashtag. They're actually tweeting. They probably haven't linked or they don't understand social media. But you can follow people on Twitter. And uh, you'll never have to worry about Facebook changing your profile again. Anyway, last week we talked about walk this way. And um, we talked about what it means to follow Jesus. What it, what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. And when he, usher, when he gives you the invitation to follow him, those words mean that he believes in you. And in your ability to follow him. He believes that his Spirit and His power that will dwell in your life will give you the ability to be His follower, or He wouldn't uh, make that invitation. This week we're going to uh, continue uh, talking about the idea of following, and I have one point. That's all. One point, and I'm not going to give it to you to the very end. One point, one application, one take home, one note, whatever you want to call it. This one thing, then you can say you've been to church this morning. But like I said, you don't want to miss next week. This week is good. This week is really good. Like I, I said this week, this if you catch on to what we're we're preaching and teaching this morning, it could be the most dramatic change to your spiritual growth that you've ever experienced. Really good. So this week is great. You don't want to miss next week. Not only is next week going to be funny, and you will laugh. And the people that you bring with you and, and will laugh, subliminal advertising. They will laugh. But also, um, God's going to do some really amazing things in people's lives as he 
uh, speaks new life into some dead places. Um, so if you want somebody to laugh, bring them. And if you want somebody to experience the life-transforming power of Jesus Christ, bring them. Bring them. They will uh, certainly do that. But we're here today and we're going to talk about follow. To kind of catch you up on a backstory, if you're not really familiar with the Gospels, if you're, uh, you know, you didn't go to Sunday school, you didn't go to kids' church, you didn't go to vacation Bible school, uh, you don't know anything about the gospel. I'm going to give you a little Reader's Digest version of what's happened up to this point. As you can probably tell by the video, we're going to talk a little bit about Peter this morning. Um, there was this man in a region uh, of Galilee named John. And John went into the wilderness and began uh, dunking people in the river Jordan. And when he did that, he was calling it baptizing. And that's what they, it was the tradition. They were baptizing. So people gave him the nickname of the Baptist, John the Baptizer. And so John is dunking people in the river. And this, this up and coming prophet, this up and coming rabbi, this up and coming, what would eventually be known to the world as the Messiah, comes to John in the river and says, I need to be baptized by you to fulfill scripture. Well, John looks, takes, takes one look at him and says, hold on, I know who you are, and you do not need to be baptized by me. Matter of fact, I should be baptized by you. John looks at Jesus and says that. Jesus says, no, that's not the way it's going to happen. You're going to baptize me, and that's going to begin the public ministry that I'm going to begin, initiate. It's going to begin right here. So John does it, and Jesus goes into the wilderness for 40 days. There's this whole scene with the enemy and temptation that's really interesting to dive into. We're not going to do that today. Um, but then Jesus comes out of the wilderness and he begins calling disciples. He begins calling people to follow him. We talked about that last week. Then Jesus, he begins teaching and preaching and all of a sudden great, huge crowds begin to follow this man. And wherever he goes, a huge crowd shows up and he heals people and People who are blind can see again. And people who, who can't walk get up and carry their bed away. And people who are dead, he interrupts funeral processions. And uh, people come back to life. And so some crazy stuff's happening around this guy named Jesus. And in the midst of all of this, he gathers together this group of 12 individuals. And we call them the disciples. Some people call them the twelve, the apostles, whatever you want to call them. Jesus gathers together this group and he begins to pour his life into them. He begins to pour teaching into them. He begins to pour himself into their lives to, to eventually pass on the ministry that Jesus begins into their hands. And there are two people in this twelve one named Simon, who's also called Peter, and another guy named Judas. Uh, his last name, if you will, it's a kind of joke. Um, if, you were, if you were a vacation Bible school junkie, you may have called him Judas is a carrot. Yeah, somebody? I heard, I heard a yeah, I heard an amen. Uh, Judas Iscariot, Simon Peter, they didn't have last names, I was just kidding. They were just called son of somebody. So Judas uh, is a carrot. And Peter, who's also known as a rock. They have 
very similar lives. They're both disciples. They're both following Jesus. They're both walking and following wherever this man Jesus goes. They go with him. They're both receiving the same teaching. They're both receiving the same instruction. They're both receiving the same life-giving grace from Jesus into their lives to transform them. But their lives are also quite different. These are two very different men. Peter, just to tell you a little bit about his story, Peter is the only other human on record to walk on water. Jesus does it. Peter's in a boat and with the other, with the, the twelve. He's in a boat with them and Jesus isn't there. And then Jesus starts walking on the water to them. And Peter sees him and they're all kind of losing their mind thinking they're seeing a ghost. But Peter looks at him and they recognize him as Jesus and Jesus is talking to them. And Peter says, if that's you, tell me to come follow me and I will. And Jesus says, well, come on. And Peter jumps out of the boat and he walks over to Jesus on top of the water. Okay, crazy. And he gets a bad rap because he eventually sinks. But the last time I checked, none of the other jokers even got out of the boat. So we can knock Peter. You know, Peter didn't have a lot of faith. He got out of the boat and walked towards Jesus, but then he sank because he didn't have enough faith. We had enough faith to get out of the boat, which is better than the other eleven had. Better than some of us had. Would you have gotten out of the boat? I probably would not have gotten out of the boat. I'd be like, you're crazy. It's cold, and I don't want to be wet. But Peter at least has enough faith to get out of the boat. When, when Jesus has hiked them uh, to this huge uh, rock outcropping in Caesarea Philippi, Jesus begins to ask them questions about, who do these people say that I am? What do you, what do you hear? What's the word on the street? What's the, the latest news? Who do people think that I am? They begin to answer it. Well, some people think you're Elijah. Some people think you're a prophet. Some people think this. Some people think that. And then Jesus narrows the question down. He goes, okay, who do you think that I am? Well, now that's a little bit more of an intense question. That's a little bit, you've got to put something on the line. Well, Peter doesn't care. He's going to be the first one to jump in and blurt out the answer. He says, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. That's who you are. And Jesus looks at him and says, Peter, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but this has been revealed by God himself. So Peter is not only the first and only other person to walk on water, he's also the first person to declare amongst the twelve that you, Jesus, are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. You are the Savior that we've all been waiting for. When Jesus gets arrested, Peter's there, and one gospel writer accounts that Peter's the one who draws a sword and cuts the ear off of one of the soldiers. It seems like Peter has this habit of responding first. Something happens, and Peter's got to be the first one to respond. Again, in John chapter 13, Jesus is telling them that he's going to wash their feet. Peter jumps up and says, you're going to wash my feet. No way I'm going to let you wash my feet. You're the Messiah. So let me know. You are not washing my feet. Jesus says, well, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part of me. And Peter says, well, don't just wash, don't stop at my feet. Wash my whole body. You see, sometimes Peter got it. Sometimes Peter didn't get it. But one thing was not going to stop Peter. He was not going to be second. It didn't matter if he got it right or wrong. He was going to be first. So Peter has this way about him. And sometimes Jesus commends him and says, you have, been, you have received that by revelation of God. And sometimes Peter gets smacked down and Jesus says, you're the devil. You are the devil. So instance, Jesus looks at Peter and says, get behind me, Satan. One minute Peter is revealing things of God, the next minute Peter is the devil. But that's a little bit better than Judas. 
Because we don't know anything about Judas. The only thing that we know about Judas is that he's one of the twelve. He's, he's in the twelve. That's it. We also know that he keeps the money. Which is forever and always given people in churches who keep the money. Whether you call them clerks or treasurers or uh, accounting officer or finance manager. Whatever. A bad man. We all assume they're Judas. Okay? But that's all we know about Judas. That's it. Outside of his betrayal of Jesus Christ, the only thing that we know about Judas is he kept the money. And he's one of the twelve. But in the days and hours before Jesus' betrayal and arrest and crucifixion, these two similar yet very different individuals begin looking incredibly similar. They begin looking a lot, a lot. You see, in the little funny clip, you got a lot of old Jesus movies, man. I, my favorite part of that is the, the soldiers all have these, not just British accents, but incredibly British accents. Like, what are you, it's like Monty Python. That's what it is. Monty Python does the crucifixion. That's what some of those movies feel like. You know, those of you who have seen Monty Python, you get it, right? It's like, uh, what's the... Holy yeah, Brian. Life of Brian. Uh, holy Grail. The one I'm thinking of is the Holy Grail where they're chopping the guy... It's the Holy Grail where they're chopping the guy's legs and arms off. He's like, I get... You know, it's hilarious. But that's what those soldiers sounded like. Anyway. If you haven't seen Monty Python... Yeah. Just skip it. It's not... It depends on what your humor's like. So, anyway... During, during one of the last scenes of Jesus' life, he predicts that people are going to betray him. He looks at his 12, his best friends on the planet, and he says, one of you is going to betray me tonight. And they all collectively together say, no, we're not. All of them tell him, we would never do that. Peter goes on to say, I will die with you before I will betray you. Let's pick it up in Matthew chapter 26. If you have your Bibles with you, you can open them up there. If not, the scriptures will be on the walls beside us. If you have your phone, you can also follow along with us on the YouVersion app. Uh, do a live event. Do a search for Vertical. You'll find us under there. Uh, the title, Go Your Own Way, after the song, uh, Fleetwood Mac, Go Your Own Way. So I've given you just a couple minutes for those of you who are trying to Turn your phones on. Make sure they're on vibrate. Vibrate is a good thing to make sure they're on. Those of you who have your Bibles, we're going to begin in verse 47. Here we go. Let's jump into this. Matthew 26, beginning with verse 47. While he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, arrived. With him was a large crowd armed with swords and clubs, sent from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. Jesus replied, Friend, do what you came for. Then the men stepped forward, seized Jesus, and arrested him. So here we see Judas's betrayal. Maybe you've heard the story, maybe you haven't. There's not a lot to it. Judas basically prearranges an agreement with the chief priests and the elders and the leaders of the 
Jewish religious society and says, I'm going to out Jesus. Basically, Peter says, I'm going to lie about Jesus, say that he said things that he didn't say, say that he meant things that he didn't mean, and I'm going to, I'm going to betray him and implicate him so that you can arrest him. I'm going to bear false witness. I'm going to false testify. If you use one of these to kind of current uh, legal things, he's going to uh, lie on the witness stand. Okay? And he, he prearranges this deal for a, a bag of coins, 30 pieces of silver, that he's going to turn Jesus over and betray him and lie about him. One of Jesus' best friends is going to betray him to the religious leaders. But man, I wish it stopped there. At least for Jesus and the betrayal. Because you know when Jesus is sitting around the table and he says, one of you is going to betray me? He is right. One of them certainly did betray him. But then he looks at Peter and says, I'll tell you what. One, one person around this is, is going to betray me, but you're also going to deny me. Let's read about Peter. Let's jump down to verse 69 in chapter 26. Let's read about Peter's story. Now Peter was sitting out in the courtyard, and a servant girl came to him. You also were with Jesus of Galilee, she said, but he denied it before them all. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. Now, stop there for a second. A servant girl, a servant girl. Peter can't stand up to a servant girl. What is she, 12, 13? She's a little girl. Peter is a fisherman. Yeah, like, like the movie you showed, you know, every time you think of, you ever notice every time Peter gets like, de uh, he, he, he's depicted, is that the right word? In movie, he's like this rough man with a huge beard. Looks kind of more like John the Baptist than anything else, right? Peter, the man who walked on water. Peter, the man who stood up to Jesus and said, you're not going to wash my feet. Peter, this guy who, who can lift huge nets out of the water with fish in them. Peter is intimidated by a little girl? Really? Come on. You gotta have a better backbone than that, Peter. You gotta, you gotta have a little bit more courage than that. You have, you have been on the sea when the when the boat's about to turn over. You have seen you have declared that you gotta have a little bit more backbone than that to stand up to a little girl. It's not like she was going to hurt him. It's not like she was going to smack him. We're talking about a little girl. Peter's this, this fisherman, tough, you know, gruff guy, like someone you might meet from Deep Creek or Great Bridge. See, I had to throw that in there because that's where I live. There's some, there's some roughneck people living in Great Bridge too because I live there. And so that automatically, West Virginia people in Great Bridge, so it makes sense, does it? I had to say that. That was like, I don't know if you noticed this, but that was an obligatory joke because I, I cracked on Portsmouth a couple weeks ago. So, lest anyone think that I'm anti Portsmouth, there's your deep Greek Great Bridge joke. But anyway, this man who stood up to Jesus can't stand up to a little girl. When she questions who he's with. And it goes on. 
Verse 71. Then he went out to the gateway where another servant girl saw him and said to the people there, this fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. He denied him again with an oath. I don't know the man. Two girls. Peter. Come on, bro. You got to be a little bit a little bit better spying than that. You're talking about like Girl Scouts. Cookies. Verse, uh, verse 73. After a little while, those standing there went up to Peter and said, Surely you are one of them. Your accent gives it away. Gives you away. It's like people looking at me, your accent, you're not from here, are you? No. I come from southern West Virginia. Which, never mind. Then he began to call down curses, and he swore to them, I don't know the man. Immediately a rooster crowed. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken before the rooster crows. He looked at me three times, and he went outside and wept bitterly. Doesn't that look a lot like Judas? Now, when I read that, that looks a lot like Judas to me. Now, I know you're saying, well, one's a betrayal and one's a denial. But I think when you're actually the person experiencing it, you don't really care. When you're the person who's being betrayed, when you're the person who people are denying that they know you, you kind of feel it all the same. I think when Jesus looks at Peter and Judas, he kind of feels the same way. You have betrayed your allegiance to the Son of God. It's basically, really, the same sin. An intimate follower of Jesus, a best friend, betrays his trust. Now, they both declared they wouldn't do this. They both looked Jesus in the eye and said, I'll never do that. I would never betray you. Yeah, they both do. It's not that different, really. It's not that different. In this moment, Peter and Judas look incredibly similar. But at this moment is where the similarity stops. It's this moment that will define each of their lives. And there's one thing that happens. Like I said, I've got one point. I'm telling the whole story to get one point across. Let's keep reading. Jump on into Matthew chapter 27. Beginning with verse 3. Let's see how Judas' story turns out. When Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse and returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders. I have sinned, he said, for I have betrayed innocent blood. What is that to us? They replied, that's your responsibility. You ever notice when like, people that you hang around, uh, that, that you end up getting in trouble with, when you're like, hey, that wasn't right. They, they never, they're like, well, we don't care about that. We don't really care about you either. Leave it, get out of here. This is just a side note. People that, sometimes the people that you run with that you think I'm going to do this with and nobody will know, they don't have your back. They don't care about you. Anyway, side teaching, chalk that up, free uh, of charge. So Judas threw the money into the temple and left. Then he went away and hanged himself. It's intense. Judas... It sounds like he tried to repent. It sounds like he was convicted. He sinned, felt conviction, 
tried to make it right, but in the end, he hung himself. For those of you who've been following Jesus for a while, correct me if I'm wrong, but when you sin and you feel convicted, you feel remorse, you feel Jesus telling you you shouldn't have done what you did, you feel the spirit inside of you convicting you, reminding you of the truth of God's word, reminding you of your relationship with Jesus, bringing you to a place of repentance, you repent, but at least for nobody in this room, it hasn't ended the way it for Jesus. Why does it end this way for Jesus? He feels remorse. He feels conviction. But he hangs himself. Well, his story ends there, unfortunately. At the bottom of the noose, it's over and done. But Peter's story ends differently. And it's the why that I hope I communicate to you this morning. We don't find the end of Peter's story, or at least Peter's response to this part of his life in Matthew. We don't find it in Mark. We don't flip into Luke, and at the end of Luke, we still don't know what happened to Peter. We have to go all the way through to the book of John to finally see what happens in Peter's life. We're not going to read all the way into chapter 21 because all we need to know is in the first three verses of chapter 20. Here's what it says. Right now, Peter has simply walked off the scene. He's walked off the stage. He's denied Jesus and walked off crying, feeling remorse, feeling the same conviction that Judas felt. Verse 1 of chapter 20 in the Gospel of John says this. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. The word and is all you need to know about Peter's life. This is the only thing that separates Peter from Judas. You see, when Judas, when Judas sinned, when Judas blew it, when Judas, a follower of Jesus, makes a mess of things, his response is to go into isolation and loneliness and remove himself from everybody. Let me tell you, that way ends in a noose. When Peter makes a mess of things, blows it, denies Christ, completely is a follower of Jesus, betrays his trust, Peter responds by at least hanging around the other disciples. And it saves his life. It saves his life. Here's the one thing. If you want to write this down, here's the one point, application, one thought that could completely and radically change your life. While the choice to follow Jesus is yours alone, you can't actually follow Jesus alone. That's what Peter teaches us. That's what this story teaches That's the difference between Judas and Peter. That's why Judas ends in a noose and Peter ends this section of his story at the tomb. Because while the choice to follow Jesus 
is yours alone. Nobody else can make the choice for you. Nobody else can decide for you. No one else can surrender to the Lordship of Christ on behalf of you. No one else can make that commitment for you. While the choice is yours alone, you can't actually follow Jesus alone. The difference between Judas and Peter is that Judas went off alone and isolated from the community, while Peter is at least still hanging around the community. That one thing makes all the difference. You see, like the song says, you can go your own way. You can. You have that choice. You can make that decision. When you blow it, and you will blow it, as a follower of Christ, you can go your own way. You can respond like Judas. You can go your own way, go into loneliness, go into isolation, which is eventually going to lead into depression, which eventually is going to suck the very life out of you. You can go that way. But that way ends in death. Or you can go the way that ends in life, which is the way of community. Way community. Scripture makes it very clear. There's two choices put in front of us. We can go the way that ends in death, or we can go the way that ends in life. And Scripture puts it to us this way. Choose. Choose death or choose life. While you can choose Jesus all on your own, and that's only your decision, that's only your commitment, that's only your surrender, you can't follow him alone. I'm convinced that if Judas, the guy who sold Jesus out, I'm convinced that the grace and power of the forgiveness that Jesus offers is so strong and so potent that Judas, the one who the devil entered, betrayed Jesus Christ, if he hangs around long enough to see the resurrected Savior, his life gets changed. Because Judas and Peter don't look that different to me. Their sins don't look that different to me. Jesus forgave Peter, restored him. He's preaching on the day of Pentecost. Thousands of people get saved. He's going all over the known world, preaching the gospel. People get saved. People get healed. His shadow goes over somebody. Woo! They're, they're healed. That could have been Judas. It could have been. But it wasn't. Because he chose to try to follow Jesus alone. And you can't follow Jesus alone. It takes community.